Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Very good. Uh, okay, good. I tried to not, you know, stop and ponder over ve- vexillographers, so I was like, this yeah. may come out or it may sound like blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'll do a second one. Okay, intro. <laughs> no, it did. It did, but that's that's how you normally come out. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> intro, take two. <clears throat> I am. Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. A place where pop culture creatives discover design icons that make us tick. And we share a few cocktails in the process. Yep. Attention all armchair vexillographers. Today we're waving the flag of good design for, well, flags. We're talking bright colors, geometry, history, symbolism, patriotism, and some other words we've probably forgotten. We've mixed some fun layered drinks, pulled out our travel guides and sketch pads, and are ready for you to join us back here in the bar. Okay, Todd, so today we are talking flags. And, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit before about the American flag in our 1976 episode. and. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we may have talked about flags some other times, like our civic posters episode. Um, So flags have a lot of symbolism. And uh, I have a flag, a national flag, right? I think we we decided that today we would be talking about national flags. So not flags from, you know, states or flags from movements or things of that nature. But we decided to kind of treat this topic uh, with kid gloves and uh, winnow our possibilities down to whatever, roughly 200 or whatever flags there are in the world, national flags. Right, however many countries there are. Yeah, sovereign nations. Yes. So, okay. So I decided to go with one that was um, pretty fun, highly geometric, Mm -hmm. but one that even when I was a little kid, I zeroed in on it and have always really, really liked. How about you? Do you have one today? Well, yeah, and you were also, uh, I mean, you were like a, a junior flag expert, weren't you? Because you've talked about that a couple times uh, here on the podcast, that you just loved flags and you loved that they represented um, nationalism or patriotism or something uh, related to a country in, in really graphic ways. So... Uh, I don't know if I've ever been that much into it, but I've always found them interesting. To be honest with you, I'm a little thinking, slightly concerned we may have picked the same country, my friend, just because the flag that I brought to the table today is incredibly cool. Mm. All right. Well, we'll we'll see who has the cooler flag. 
Okay. How about that? Whose country will reign supreme? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly All right. Tell right. me about your uh, your country and your flag. All right, Todd. Let's see if we can guess what country it is. How about that? Let's start okay. there. All right. And then we'll see if when I confirm that you've guessed the right country, if there's sort of a design that pops into your head. How about that? Okay. All right. Sounds good. We've narrowed it down to only, what, 270-some countries, right? I'm going to give you fewer guesses than that, though. Okay. Okay. And is the first guess, uh, is it rectangular? Yes. Yeah, so it's not Nepal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now we have 269 guesses. (laughs) I'll tell you what, let's do it this way. We can can do this uh, practically in, in two different ways. Okay. We'll do hot and cold in terms of like the actual climate in the country, and then we can okay, do okay. hot and cold in terms of like how close you are to the actual spot. How about that? All right, sounds great. Sounds great. Go ahead. Okay. Well, you're the one guessing first, so you go ahead. Well, okay. I'll, I'll tell oh, you if you're well, hot you or cold. Give me a hint. You got to give me a hint. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's hot and not cold. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Columbia. Ooh, very, very close, and I'll explain why. That's very good, oh. but that is not correct. Okay. Um, geographically close or yeah. temperature yeah, you're, close? You're, okay. Yeah, okay. you're, okay. you're okay. really warm. Okay, 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 good. Uh, da, 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 really warm. Guatemala. Nope. Go farther okay. south than that, I, th- I think. Yeah. Further south than Guatemala. Uh, Ecuador. No. Um, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint. Okay. There is a very famous and very handy body of water that traverses this country. Very famous and very handy bottle of water. Bottle of body of water. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a bottle of water, it's a big they bottle. They probably will have a bottle of water, too. Okay, very handy. Oh, would this happen to be maybe the thinnest part of the America's continent? It just might be. I oh, think you're, you're warm. I think you're super Panama. warm. Yes. Panama. Panama. Dun, dun, dun. Cool. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah, I, um, I know I've seen the flag, but I don't recall it off the top of my head. Mm. Well, we'll get into that in just a minute. But first, I would love to know which country you're thinking of. Okay. Well, let's do uh, hot or cold then. So um, this temperature is not hot of this country. (laughs) Okay. So it's a cold country. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the year. Most of the year. Uh, Canada. No. No. Think more um, medieval. Ye old Canada. <laughs> That's <laughs> with an O L D E, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, well, okay. Uh, continental Europe. How about that? Ah, okay. Hmm. Hmm. And it's cold. Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is is someplace like. Norway. Okay, really, really close. And picking up on the clue that you gave, 
this country has a very famous mountain range that borders it. Mm. Oftentimes called the blank name of country mountain range. Ah, uh, the Alps? The Alps, right. So now, now narrow down which countries border the Alps. Oh, okay. So when you the, refer the, to the, the Alps. Yeah, the Canadian Alps. The, not the Canadian Alps, the Guatemalan Alps. No, of course, uh, I would say this is a country that is not only famous for its mountains, but also its knives, chocolate, and cuckoo clocks. Am I correct? Exactly. You are nailing it square on top of the cuckoo clock. Yeah, Switzerland. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. I love the Swiss flag. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty well known because uh, it shows up on so many different things besides flags. Yeah, yeah, excellent. There's an interesting history, but I want to hear, uh, I want to hear about the Panamanian flag first. You mentioned that. Obviously, you know Panama. You know the Panama Canal. Mm-hmm. So, um, the the flag you said you might not be totally aware of what it looks like. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna describe it for you. So, as you guessed earlier, it is in fact a rectangle. <laughs> that was a mm-hmm. mind bender. Um, so, it's a typical flag ratio, like a three to two ratio, uh, horizontal rectangle. This is a quote directly from the Panamanian government in terms of the dictates of the design of their flag okay so the flag of the republic consists thus of a divided rectangle of four quarters the upper field close to the pole white with a blue star of five points the upper field further from the pole red so it's solid red the lower field near the pole blue so it's solid blue and the lower one further from the pole white with a red star of five points so in other words it's a rectangle divided into four smaller rectangles and then each of those rectangles is either solid red or solid blue or has a five-pointed star that's either red or blue so i think when i was little i really liked this flag because it reminded me of course with the stars and the colors of the American flag, but of course it's very, very different in terms of its design. And so I think I sort of had this aha moment where it was like taking the same ingredients, but sort of Mm -hmm. using them in Mm -hmm. a different way. And so I think that's the reason that I remembered it. Mm -hmm. But a little bit more about this flag. When the design was originally proposed, it was actually flipped. So the the colors were in the same place, but where the stars versus the solid rectangles were was actually flipped. And so later it got inverted into what we find today. Was there any reason why it got flipped? Um, I think it has to do with some of the symbolism and the the hierarchy or the order that that they wanted people to recognize certain things about the country. Oh. Yeah, so the the coloration and the stars and everything, it wasn't entirely arbitrary. There are actually some some pretty good reasons for it. So the flag was um, first proposed in November of 1903 
and it was adopted in November of 1925. Mm-hmm. And it was when the country of Panama became independent from Colombia. Colombia's colors are red, yellow, and blue. So they didn't want red, yellow, and blue in their flag. Now, we also talked, of course, a little while ago about the Panama Canal. The U.S. was a big helper in building the Panama Canal. So this was sort of a nod not only to distancing itself from Colombia, but also Panama, um, you know, giving thanks to the United States by using similar colors. Hmm. So it's interesting. So in a way, my um, childhood observation, I later found out doing research for this, makes some sense. Um, so it's kind of funny what little kids put together, I guess. Uh-huh. So the flag, the, the colors, and the design were done to reflect the political situation of the time in the country. So in the 20s, as I mentioned earlier. So the blue was intended to represent the conservative party and the red to represent the liberal party. So, you know, kind of like in the United States, except the colors are reversed, right? So the white in the flag is intended to stand for peace and purity, and the blue star in the white stands for purity and honesty of the life of the country, okay? And then the red star represents the authority and law in the country. And together, both of the stars stand for the new republic. So that was the design rationale behind the flag um, to get everyone behind it. Oh, that, yeah. So everybody compromised and had a, a little piece of the flag. Yeah, if you will. But it, but it turned out so cleanly. It, it wasn't sloppy at all. And that's what's really, really incredible about this. Um, so as I mentioned, it was designed when Panama became independent from Colombia. And there was another design that was actually proposed and then rejected by the first president of Panama. And um, I feel like I need to apologize to anybody listening who either knows Spanish or Spanish is their uh, first language because not only is Spanish not my first language, it's probably not my second, third, fourth, or fifth language. I struggle <laughs> enough as it is with English. So as a result, I am sure every one of the names I will bring up talking about the history of this flag will be mangled, mispronounced, and otherwise uh, butchered. So I apologize. Um, so the first president of Panama was a gentleman named Manuel Amador Guerrero. And I'm going to talk more about that first flag in just a little bit. Um, and this was a flag that was designed but never saw the light of day. So... The flag that we do know was designed by Maria de la Osa de Amador, and she was the inaugural first lady of Panama. She Uh was Manuel Amador Guerrero's wife, and she was also known as the mother of the nation, so the mother of Panama. Mm -hmm. And so I guess in a way, um, since she was responsible for the flag, she's sort of the Betsy Ross of Panama. Um, Yeah. You know, she's, she's the mother of the flag. Yeah. So Guerrero's son, uh, a gentleman named Manuel Encarnacion Amador, is generally, he was recognized at the time as a skillful artist. And so he Uh sketched the flag. He was working with his mom, sketched the flag, showed it to her, and and she loved it. Um, You know, they, they collaborated on this. And so Amador... After much difficulty in avoiding the Colombian army, so you got to keep in mind, Panama at the time was still part of Colombia. 
they eventually, in secret, produced three copies of this flag. And she uh-huh. produced them with help from her sister-in-law, Angelica Bergamonta de la Osa, and her niece, Maria Emilia de la Osa Bergamonta. Okay, so the, these women all worked in secret to develop three copies, three sewn copies of this flag. And then all three of the flags were flown in Panama City upon the nation's independence. And then after that, they were distributed much, much more widely. The original flag differs from the present flag um, that I mentioned uh, came about in the 20s in that the upper left quadrant at the time was was blue. So um, so this is, you know, everything got flipped around. So the, the star is on the top now. And after independence, when blue was chosen as the color of one of the political parties, that's why the quadrants were shifted to make the top left quadrant white. So in other words, one political party, since we tend to read left to right, top to bottom, um, one of the parties wouldn't have, you know, this prominence in the flag and, and so wouldn't be seen as weighted toward one party over the other. So, oh, you know, to answer okay. your earlier Makes question, sense. yeah, that's the reason for the for the switch. Because just like the U.S. flag, where the stars are in the U.S. flag is called a field or mm-hmm. um, the actual term is called a canton. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if you think about the U.S. flag, that is, you know, very important. Your eye is drawn there with the 50 stars. And so they didn't want to have one political party have that same emphasis because keep in mind they were thinking about the U.S. flag when they were designing their flag. Hey Todd, do I hear a certain Van Halen song playing off in the distance? Maybe, Elliot. I have an idea. Let's take a quick break refill our drinks and our bar mix and meet back around the table in just a few minutes. So, Jim, we got a problem with our podcast. Right, nobody says it correctly. No, some people say how to fix it or how do you fix it. But think of it like this. Whatever the problem, we're in this together. How do we fix it? How How do do we we fix fix it? it? Yeah, how do we fix it? The Solutions Show, from the political to the personal. Practical ideas for creative listeners. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? Ideas that work. That's your radio voice, Richard. Oh, well, I know. (laughs) I love it. I couldn't do it to save my life. Hi, while we have your attention, if you want to learn more about us and the podcast, there are a few ways to do it. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. All of that is spelled out. No numbers. Kind of a long URL, so do yourself a favor and bookmark it. Once you're there, you can find links to more information about the subjects in this episode, our episode archive, and information about both of us. Wait, we do want people to visit, right? Well, oh, and look for us on social media. You can find those links on our website as well. And while we're at it, if you have a friend who you feel will dig on our rambling, tell him or her what we're up to. While we can't guarantee that they will remain your friend, we can guarantee that they will listen to at least 30 seconds of whatever episode you send them the link to. (laughs) That's being a little shameless. And speaking of being shameless, it wouldn't be a proper ask if we didn't mention that if you like what you hear, you can also make a donation via our website. We have a Nigerian prince handling all transactions for us. In fact, he told us to mention that we have stickers to mail to anyone who donates $10 or more. 
Are we done? We're done. We're done. So I want to talk about this other flag design, but Todd, first, I want to hear more about the flag of Switzerland because I'm really excited to learn the history of it. Well, okay, cool, Elliot. That's interesting. Um, of course, I had no idea that history of the Panamanian flag. And as I started saying in the beginning, I think everybody's probably familiar with the, the Swiss flag. It's just boldly simple. It has some really um, striking features. And the thing that it conveys is to this just crazy stability. It's only two colors, red and white. And it's um, a square flag made up of five other squares. And the, the five squares are white and they're centered on the bright red field. But what's interesting is this is only one of two square sovereign state flags. Can you guess the other square flag? Oh, wow, I have no idea. I, I assume you're not gonna say Rhode Island. <laughs> no, a sovereign state like Vatican City has a square flag. Ah, okay. Hey, here's an interesting uh, chunk of trivia. If that's the case, I have actually been to both countries that have square flags. Oh, well, how about that? And you mentioned Nepal earlier, which is the only non-quadrilingual, <laughs> the only flag that doesn't have four sides. That's true, but I've not been to Nepal. Okay, well, it looks like penance. Um, but we're not talking about Nepal. Uh, we're, we're talking about Switzerland right now and the Swiss flag, which is a white cross on a bright red field and the flag is square. The symbolism goes way back to the 12th century when what we know as Switzerland was divided into provinces. And uh, you mentioned this earlier, they're called cantons. Mm, yeah, so yeah. E each canton operated independently, yet they were all part of the Kingdom of Germany and the Holy Roman Empire. And this is cool. So one of the cantons was called Schwitz, and I'll spell that and then clean off my microphone, but it's S-C-H-W-Y-Z, Schwitz, Schwitz, Schwitz. How would you pronounce that, Elliot? Schweiss. Schweiss, okay. Perhaps. I mean, again, you have German I, I, lineage, so I am I would, the, I Yeah, but go. I'm also the person who apologized earlier for not knowing how to pronounce Schweiss. anything. Schweiss, maybe. Yeah. Schweiss. Yeah. Okay. I think I think we should, in spirit of Mel Brooks, we should call it Schwartz. Schwartz, yeah. Okay. So the Canton of Schweiz or Schwartz, they at the time flew this bright red banner, um, and there's a little controversy about what the bright red banner symbolized. Some say it was the blood of Christ. Others say it was based on the flag of uh, it was based on the Bernese flag, uh, the flag of Bern. Uh, which was another canton. So the emperor of Germany carried into battle a red banner, and he also carried a white cross um, as a symbol of Christian power over evil, uh, etc. And this emperor had the power to grant different countries uh, within the empire permission to use special symbols during the war. And he gave permission to Schweitz or Schwitz to fight under the same white cross and uh, along with their red banner, the same white cross that he flew. Now, this was 
this was kind of a political play from the canton of Schwitz or Schweitz. Uh, this granted an allegiance and created what's called imperial immediacy against the ruling counts of Habsburg. Now, I looked this up because I hadn't, uh, I wasn't familiar with this term, imperial immediacy. What that means is it's basically like a team logo. So if you share the same symbol that you're going into battle, if the emperor grants that, that means you're kind of like in the circle. You get all of the perks and all of the uh, advances of being in direct contact to the emperor. You don't have to go through the counts as you know the, the feudal system would have. And that was the problem that these um, cantons were fighting against. They, when they were granted uh, this allegiance and this imperial immediacy, they were fighting against being ruled by these evil counts of Habsburg. So this helped them in that battle. So again, there were multiple cantons joining together, fighting against this, the, the counts of Habsburg. Now, enter a guy named Wilhelm Tell. Does that sound familiar to you, Elliot? It does. Yeah. Uh, he wrote an overture, shot an apple off his kid's head, blah, blah, blah. Um, he was a Swiss revolutionary battling the cruel treatment by the counts of Hatsburg House. And folklore tells us he was the one who encouraged the some of the cantons to join together to form the Confederacy of Switzerland. So at the time, there were three that joined to form the initial Confederacy. And although the different cantons worked together as one battle unit, they still flew under different symbols. So the Swiss Confederacy, the, which was referred to now as the Old Swiss Confederacy, won more territorial battles and more cantons joined the Confederacy and it started to become a problem on the battlefield because they couldn't identify who was friend or who was foe. So they had to find a way to kind of come together um, because this was causing a great problem and a great divide. So Elliot, incidentally, this is exactly how ABBA broke up too. I don't know if you knew that. Well, it's funny you bring up music because I was thinking Imperial Immediacy would be an amazing name for a metal band. It would be. It would be. And uh, so that that ABBA breakup, which was also medieval and traumatic, captured in this epic poem, which I'll read you a couple lines from, Waterloo. Oh, okay. I was defeated. You won the war. Waterloo. Promised to love you forevermore. So it's a complicated story. It's a complicated love story there. Anywho's, back to the Swiss the most reliable symbol of the Confederacy became the White Cross. So all of the Allied soldiers began sewing it on their uniforms so their, their friends and colleagues wouldn't kill them. Duh. Uh, and that became recognizable on the battlefield. So it became this unifying symbol um, that all of the cantons, which were still independent, still ruled separately, could be joined together under, which is kind of cool, like a graphic symbol that started unifying people, which is what a flag does. And it's also a plus symbol. It is a plus symbol. So it's adding, it's additive. That's right. Now, here's a little interesting tidbit. Yeah, it's, it's about time, because up until this point, I've been super <laughs> bored. 
<laughs> okay, cool. I said it was part of the Holy Roman Empire. The Latin word for Switzerland is, I didn't know this, Helvetica. Did you know that? I did know that. Okay, well, of course you did. So the term Helvetica derived from the female allegory Helvetia, representing this Gaulish tribe Helveti living in the Swiss plateau before they were being conquered by the Roman Empire. Um, so the flag worked fine. Uh, the, the Swiss cross, as we know it, worked fine up until this little guy, Napoleon, kind of was taken over that area of Europe, and they call that the Helvetic period. He abolished the red and white flag in 1798, and he was also, in addition to abolishing the red and white flag, he's responsible for abolishing the independent Canton system, too. Mm. So while we sort of lost the Swiss flag there for a time, we gained a more centralized government for Switzerland. And the other thing with the, the Helvetic period, I've used that. I've also used the Helvetic semicolon and the yeah. Helvetic ampersand. The Helvetic question mark, right? Yeah. Which is what you're thinking. What's next for the Helvetic question mark? It's a cliffhanger. It is. Well, I'm going to jump off that cliff right now. Um, so the Helvetic period, uh, it only lasted 50 years, which is a really long period if you're having a Helvetic period. But this only <laughs> lasted 50 years. There's About so many years. ways I could take that joke, but in I the know, interest of I our readers, just, I'm going to leave it alone. I was readers, just trying our readers, our, our, our listeners. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are reading this on the radio. Man, what medium are we working in right now? I know, really. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, um, about 50 years uh, after Napoleon uh, conquered that, unified the cantons in 1848, the unified flag as we know it became the permanent symbol. So, this is, it's really cool. Again, I think, and I'm not alone, I heard for some other, from other folks on the interwebs, it is a symbol of modern-day design. Uh, so, obviously, Switzerland, being the, the uh, home of modern-day design, fits perfectly. Mm -hmm. It reduces wonderfully. It's square. Like I said, it's this symbol of stability, highly recognizable, highly visible. And just as an interesting tidbit, as you would imagine, if you're familiar with the Swiss flag and familiar with the Red Cross logo and Red Cross flag, they're often confused mm -hmm. since they use inverted colors. And the, um, the person who started, who founded the Red Cross was a Swiss native by the name of Henri Dunat in 1863. So I think that's kind of cool, but I don't really see the problem since the inverted color makes the one for the red cross uh, have a red cross. I think it's a little bit easier. I just thought it was not a very imaginative logo for that organization <laughs> until I read about this. Right. But also, you know, red is the color of blood. Um, right. It starts to make sense. But also the red cross flag, if you see it is the, the classic uh, three to two ratio. It's not a square flag at all. That's right. That's right. And, you know, for the Red Cross, that works too because they're going into places where there's a lot of turmoil. Mm -hmm. There's often 
um, a lot of confusion and a bright white background with a bright red uh, cross signifies a neutral party, mm-hmm. just like Switzerland is a is a neutral party. Mm-hmm. That's great insight. I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. As you were talking about the flag and the fact that it's square and it's subdivided into smaller squares, and of course we were making the, the joke a minute ago about Helvetica and the name of the typeface, it's highly geometric, of course. Most people, I think, listening have probably... Well, everybody's seen it. You know, there's a documentary on Helvetica, for heaven's sake, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But the fact that it's it's a square that's subdivided into a smaller grid, and then you think about Swiss design and their use of the grid, it just it's very interesting how it all sort of comes together. Yeah, and you know, we've talked about this uh, on an earlier podcast about the beauty of something that is so simple that a child could draw it, could repeat the the design of it. And certainly if you have a square flag made of uh, five squares that form a a giant plus cross uh, is one of the easiest ones. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it actually is uh, the, the squares that form the cross are actually one sixth broader than they are tall so they're not Ah, perfect squares they're just slightly wider and i i imagine that's to give it some some place to give it some weight um otherwise it would probably be too geometric and probably not feel as heavy as it does Well, you know, Todd, I think this is a perfect segue to go from simplistic, easy-to-remember flag design to maybe something that was not quite so simplistic, was a little bit complicated, and ultimately mm-hmm. failed to see the light of day. So Back to Panama, right? Yes. So let's talk for a minute about the design that was shot down. I think I mentioned to you that the flag that we see today was, in fact, the second design. Okay. So... Philippe Jean Buno Varia, maybe that was the correct pronunciation, with apologies to his descendants. Uh, he was a French soldier who was influential in the construction of the Panama Canal. So I mentioned the Panama Canal earlier, how mm-hmm. uh, then and today it was so important uh, for the country of Panama. Um, so his wife designed the first serious proposal for a Panamanian flag. And let's just say it was a bit on the rough side. So, um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's the ultimate of I kind of like what you did, Elliot, but my wife had some ideas to share too. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> in this case, it was sort of saying to the United States, "We like what you did, but we want to th- put our own flavor on it." Um, so. Uh, It was based on the flag of the United States, Um, again, possibly due to our country's hand in in Panamanian independence, right? So I understand that. So our flag has 13 horizontal stripes. This flag design had 13 horizontal stripes. However, rather than red and white horizontal stripes, they were red and yellow. So um, this, of course, as I mentioned earlier, was due to the connection to Colombia, you know, because Colombia's one of their colors is red and mm-hmm. the other one is uh, blue and then, of course, yellow. 
And, um, but also who was Colombia settled by the Spanish and what are the mm-hmm. country's colors of Spain that is red and yellow. So red and yellow permeating um, this design for, for, you know, kind of, you know, it's like Russian nesting dolls inside of something else inside of something else here. Right. Right. Okay. So Buena Varia also replaced the stars in the, the blue Canton in the blue field in the United States flag with and this is this is crazy and we'll post an image of this online because even when you read it you can't quite visualize this okay so um instead of the stars the white stars there were two interconnected yellow suns okay Mm -hmm. so kind of like tatooine in star wars there's two suns (laughs) and the suns represent north and south america but they're connected, of course, because Panama connects both of the continents. Oh, clever. Um, well, so it's like it's like a Venn diagram in a flag. Sort of. It's really more like a flaming barbell. Because <laughs> the way these okay, two not things at all Yeah, I the imagined. way these two things are connected is kind of with a horizontal yellow stick of butter kind of rod or something. I don't Ooh. know. So yeah, not like a Venn diagram at all. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're you're giving these folks too much credit, I think. I'm I'm classing it up a bit. Aren't I? <laughs> you are. So anyway, Guerrero, uh, who we mentioned earlier, the first president, he said, "Nah, forget about it. Not happening." Um, and he was probably a much more charitable, uh, or or had more decorum than you or I would have had in terms of bouncing mm-hmm. this design. Mm-hmm. He basically said, "No, thank you, because it's too similar to the United States flag." And uh, so that's how his wife and son got the job to make the Panama flag because the original design was horrible <laughs> in no uncertain terms. <laughs> a barbell in the middle of a field. Flaming of barbell. Flaming yellow a flaming barbell. barbell. Yeah. Well, like like bursts, light bursts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Be a sweet tattoo. I know that much. You know, Todd, um, thinking about flags and obviously the importance of flags, and you mentioned the Swiss flag being reduced to sort of being, a, you know, a logo or an icon. Obviously, in the Middle Ages, it was put on uniforms. We talk about how it was later adopted and used in a slightly different way by the Red Cross. Um it's really interesting because, you know, logos, as we know, you know, everybody today knows what a logo is, but Mm -hmm. icons Mm -hmm. and these sorts of things go back hundreds of years and they have a lot of different meanings behind them. And obviously, as we've talked about with some of these colors and some of the symbolism, the flags do as well. And so even something like a color becomes really, really important to different groups of people because they want to sort of make sure that they're getting their message in these designs. And I think when you start to look at, and maybe this is another uh, topic for a future episode, when you start to look at things like state flags or city flags, um, and you start to see how they sort of break down or they get really, really busy, Mm -hmm. I think it has a lot to do with, um, instead of things being less is more, like the Panamanian flag or the Swiss flag, I think a lot of people just think more is more. And Mm -hmm. it really isn't. You know, flag design, like good logo design, is very much 
distilling things down to their bare essence, but there is still meaning when you look at something. It's still unique. It's still ownable. The colors mean something. There's just wonderful symbolism in there, and it's something that a nation can really get behind in terms of feeling pride for the flag that hopefully they're seeing everywhere. Yeah, that's interesting. I was thinking about that as I was looking at the Panamanian flag and you know the your description of it um, it makes the the artifact of the flag much more clear because it really does look like a balance between um, conservative and liberal um, it looks like there is uh, a solidity with the solid color and then the star which could be independence which could be um, whatever uniformity um, and that so that flag really communicates that in really simple again something easy for kids to draw mm-hmm. and and then compare and contrast that to the Swiss flag which is about neutrality um, it uses uh, a single color in white and obviously it's alluding to um, the symbols for Christ um, that were unifying the area of the time through the Holy Roman Empire. But again, it wasn't, they weren't trying to tell a long, in depth story. They were using very simple shapes and uh, very uh, bold colors to tell a story uh, of their history. So flags are kind of like this really simple graphic historical artifact of, uh, of our times. Mm hmm. Hey, listen, speaking of waving a flag, I'm trying to get the bartender's attention right now because our (laughs) drinks are totally gone and no one is paying any attention to us. All right. Sounds like a good plan. We'll meet around here again next time. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, Todd. I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, the Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.